Good morning, church. It's good to be together. Hey, uh, there, there are some common realities in this world that seem common to everybody else and oftentimes a surprise to us. You know what I'm talking about? Things that are common to everybody else but a surprise to us. I think I told you uh, maybe a year ago when I spoke, I had some personality assessments done a few years back. Turns out I have one, so that was good. <laughs> but the personality gal was sitting on the phone with me and she was chatting with me, just kind of going over the assessment. And she said, like several times during this assessment, she said, well, you know you don't recover well. And she moved on and talked about something else. And she came back and said, you know, like, that's an issue for you. You don't emotionally recover well after something takes place. And so she was going on and on and on. And I thought, what? I don't recover well. What are you talking about? I didn't say that to her. So after the assessment, I was real polite because I was trying to look like, like I was self-aware. I'm pretty self-aware. Some of you would say self-absorbed. Probably true. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I got off the phone, and I, I walked out of my office into Dave Bruin's office, and I said, this assessment we just paid for kind of blew me out of the water a little bit. I mean, she told me something I don't think is true about me. Do you? And he, he said, what was it? He said, she said, I'm, you know, I have a hard time recovering emotionally from stuff. And he goes, absolutely. <laughs> Dude, when something doesn't go right, man, it takes a while for you to recover and come back. And I thought, is that true? So I went home, and I said to Terry, do you think I recover well? And she goes, No. <laughs> Our whole entire family has to tiptoe around you after something doesn't go your way, you know? And I thought, how did I get to be this old and find out something that was common knowledge apparently to everybody else and yet a reality to me? It happened again this year. I had two knees redone. I had a brand new knee put in in June, another brand new knee put in in, in uh, September. And uh, <clears throat> it was a couple of three weeks after my knee surgery. A lot of people who've been through surgery came up to me and said, hey, you loving it? Aren't you loving how well your knee's working now? Isn't it great? Don't you feel so much better? And I said, no, absolutely not. It's horrible. It is. It's horrible. The knee was fine. My, my new knee was great. But my hips hurt. My back hurt. I couldn't sleep to save my life. And so I went to PT that week, and I said to this gal who's my PT, and I said, is this normal that I'm in this much pain? I, I can't even turn over and sleep at night. And she said, yeah, for a bow-legged person, this is completely normal. I'm like, bow-legged person? She said, yeah, you're bow-legged. I'm like, I'm not bow-legged. I've never been told I was bow-legged, never thought of myself as a bow-legged person. She said, Mark, look down at your legs. One's straight, one's bowed. I'm like, sure enough. What else do I not know that's common to you? And I'm still getting to a place of reality, right? There's things that are common knowledge and yet a reality to some of us. And I think that's what Paul's been getting after all throughout his book, all throughout this letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding churches. He's saying, there's a common reality that's present that I want you to catch. He goes, it's common. Don't be surprised by it. And so if you've been with us for a while, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. If this is your first time visiting, welcome. We're wrapping up a book. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Turn in your Bibles, your smartphone, your journals, whatever you got going on with you. Let's get the Word of, of God in front of us. But Paul goes on, and he's wrapping up his letter to these believers, and he's saying, hey, I want to tell you how to live it out. We've been talking about how to live this thing out, how to live the Christian life out, how to live our faith out, how to be a people who live holy, how to be a people who live light and in light, how to be a people who live a surrendered life, how to be a people who live in this new identity. And he addresses a reality that's been thematic throughout his entire letter, and he speaks of it as commonplace, common knowledge. And he says, here's the reality that we live in. We live in both the physical and the spiritual reality. We live in both worlds. We live in both the physical reality where we live, and we live in a spiritual reality. And so he says to us to survive, 
not only to survive, but hopefully to thrive in this life he's given us, is going to require us to, to be mindful that we live in both places. It requires us to engage in both the physical and the spiritual reality of the life in which we live. And you know, we need the power of God to do this. The big idea and the thought for the weekend is this. My identity in Christ empowers me to live out supernatural strength. It's my identity in Christ empowers me to live out supernatural strength. Remember the whole letter he's been writing, the first three chapters, and we'll hit it a few times over today. The first three chapters he's saying, I want you to have a foundational understanding of who you are. It's your identity in Christ that's going to allow you and empower you to live out a supernatural life. Chapter 6, verse 10, he's jumping in. And he's, final, he's putting some final notes on this letter to these believers and these followers. And he says, chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying, there's a world going on out here that we're a part of. He says, finally, don't you love when a preacher says, and finally, you think, well, he's wrapping it up, right? He's coming, he's coming into the close. Well, Paul might be closing his letter, but I'm just starting the message. So he says, finally, and he's wrapping it up, and he's giving them some indication of, hey, here's how you should live. How's he telling them to live? He says, I want you to live and be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his might. And in whose strength? In the strength and the might of the Lord, he says. The power and the strength to live out and live in our new identity, it comes from something beyond us. Yeah, I can dig deeper. I can white-knuckle it. I, I can actually hunker down and go after this thing. And it does take effort on our part to live this Christian life that God's called us to. He engages us in a relationship. It requires us. But no digging deeper, no digging down deeper than you've ever gone before is going to white-knuckle it. But we're going to be able to step into the power of God that's only the power of God. It's, it's the power and the supernatural reality of God living in us that's going to allow us to live and step into this life he's called us to. And so Paul, Paul talks about this as common knowledge, but he says living in the spiritual and living in spiritual strength, it requires recognizing that the enemy is a spiritual enemy. I, I don't think that should surprise us. It, it it reminds us that we, we have a spiritual enemy. There's someone out to bring us down. There's someone out to take us out of the game, to take us out of the work. And Paul says, I want you to be reminded that you live in both a physical and a spiritual realm. And yet I, I don't believe it's commonplace for us. I, I don't believe we think this way. Like I don't get up in the morning and go, oh yeah, I'm in the physical and I'm in the spiritual. I think I just get up and get after and get into my day like, like you all do, right? And then I think what happens oftentimes in our life, what surprises us when something goes off kilter, when, when, when evil invades our life or when the brokenness of someone else's poor choices or decisions collides with ours or something horrible happens to us, we think, oh my goodness, what's wrong? What's going wrong? And I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question is, if, if you've gone days, weeks, months, and there's been no attack to you following Jesus, there's something up. We ought to be a people who are going, no, I live in both the spiritual and the physical world. And being in both worlds is going to collide with all the powers of evil that are working against me to live the very life I know God's called me to. And so what ought to surprise us, again, is if it's going well for a while, I'm not telling you to be fearful, but hunker down. You're riding a wave, awesome. The next one's coming, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take you off the board, right? That's the world, and that's the life we've been called to. We don't live in the physical world and visit the spiritual world. We exist in both. We don't live in the physical and visit the spiritual. We, we actually reside in both. We live in, bo in both worlds. 
We're, we're citizens of, of this world, yes? We belong to this world. We're actually, most of us in this room are probably citizens of this country or another one. We belong to a, a group of people, and yet that's not our citizenship. Jesus came and established a brand new kingdom. That happened a long time ago. We, we live in a, in a world that's defined by our allegiances to different groups of people and territories that, in which we live in. But folks, as believers in Jesus, we, we belong to a, a greater kingdom, a kingdom that you can't see, but it's evident and real, and it's going to be empowered in a profound way in the years to come. We, we live in both worlds. We live here as citizens and as part of the kingdom of God. And we live in a place where the evil one is constantly nipping at our heels. Is he not? Trying to pull us back, trying to pull us in, trying to pull the church down. Because if Satan can get us at the point of our identity, he's home free. If Satan can get you at the point of your identity, he's home free. This is why Paul spends so much time talking about the first part of his letter. This is who you are. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. This is who you are. And he can pull us down at the point of our identity, not only corporately, but also individually. So all throughout this letter, Paul doesn't end in chapter 6 and starts, he, he starts bringing out this spiritual warfare thing. It's been laced all throughout his letter. This is commonplace. This is a biblical worldview that, that Paul has that we ought to have as we look at the life in which God's called us to. That The spiritual warfare has always been there. It's been in play. Back in chapter 1, remember the prayer that he prayed for the, the church there? He says, I'm praying this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Do you see the convergence here of the physical and the spiritual? Over and over, overlapping this. In chapter 1, he's setting the stage. He goes, I pray that you'll see this, that you'll understand that there's a power that's available to us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He goes on in chapter 2, weaving it together, reminding the the, the believers there of their previous identity, before they knew Jesus. Before you knew Jesus, he said, you were walking in, in a, a whole different spiritual realm, the, the realm that's evil. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were told, I see dead people, right? We were dead. Did anyone else look at us and see us as dead? No, but we were dead. We were spiritually dead, walking in, in deadness, walking as walking corpses until Christ stepped in and saved us and rescued us. He said, this is a spiritual reality. In chapter 3, he goes on from there, and he wrote uh, of the mystery of God. Remember, we talked about this weeks ago. He talked about, hey, the Gentiles and the Jews are now experiencing the gospel. And what blew Paul away was not only were they experiencing the gospel, but they were actually getting along together. They had such cultural differences and backgrounds, and yet what united them was the person and the work of Christ. What united them was the gospel. And he says, this is a testimony that you all are living in unity as the church, having such culturally different backgrounds, but living united in, in faith, united in, in, in Christ. And what he's saying is not only does it speak to, to the earthly folks who are watching this thing, he said very clearly, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
the way in which the church lives. We're proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is to the heavenly places, to all the demonic and the angelic um, beings that exist on the face of the planet and in the universe. We're declaring that in the heavenly places. This is a physical and a spiritual reality. And in chapter 4, he hits it again when he's writing about how we ought to live as people who belong to Jesus. And he says, I want to warn you, give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give the devil opportunity. Don't, don't put yourself in the way of the evil one because the evil one will suck you in and pull you in. Can you see that? Can you touch it? Can you feel it? Absolutely not. But there's this, this sense that the evil one has and his, his fellow dominion are actually trying to pull us back, tell us horrible things about us, remind us of who we once were and not who we are now. And as believers, Paul's calling us to live in the reality of reality. Sounds redundant, doesn't it? But he's saying, I want you to live in the reality of your reality as, as followers of Jesus, that we have a, a biblical worldview now that's very different than the people that, that don't know Jesus yet. It's not a reality that exists only when we're mindful of it, but it's a reality that exists. We went through a series a little while ago about heaven. It was great. For months, we talked about heaven. Remember that? And we thought about heaven a whole lot. And since then, i got to be honest with you, haven't thought about heaven a whole lot. I do think about heaven when someone near and dear to me passes away. All of a sudden, I'm thinking, oh, that, that's right. That's heaven. That's a real place. Does heaven exist because I'm thinking of it in the moment? Or does it exist whether I'm thinking about it or not? It's a reality. It's common. And it's a reality that, that, that's true. We, we talk about as followers of Jesus, and I hope you know this because this is the power that we have. The, the, as followers of Jesus, the very spirit of Christ has come in and resides within me. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus physically has raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's placed his, his Holy Spirit within me. He, he's present with me at all times. And yet what we often think about is that I know that God's present. You know, I hear people say, oh, I felt his presence, or I, I, I sensed his presence. Like, well, yeah, I'm glad you felt it and sensed it, but it doesn't change the fact that he's here all the time and real all the time. Common knowledge, common. He's here. My thinking about him doesn't make him here. My thinking about him aligns me with who he says he is, right? Common knowledge, a reality, right? All throughout, uh, all throughout Ephesians, Paul's pointing to this. He says there's a spiritual realm that's consisting of spiritual beings. And I know this gets, uh, if you're new to church, new to church life, this will get kind of spooky, kind of weird or whatever. It is spooky and it is weird. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what it is. I hope you've been um, living it out with us. And if you don't know what that means, it's a, a discipleship um, tool that we're using, a discipleship practice that we're doing. We're living it out together. We're spending time in the Word together. And part of our live it out challenge that's in the bulletin each week. This past uh, several weeks, we've encouraged you to listen to some videos by the Bible Project. And they've talked a lot about the spiritual beings, the spiritual warfare that's going on. And, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of that. I, I, I thought I knew a whole lot about that. I've, I've been learning a whole lot more. There's a spiritual reality that's taking place all throughout the Old Testament. The word for the, the spiritual beings is Elohim. It refers to all the spiritual beings uh, in, in and throughout the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, the word is theos. It's the Greek word. And it, it refers to all the angelic and divine host and the demons and the Satan. All those things are real and active. And I know that you guys go, okay, now you lost me. You're off. This feels like uh, Chronicles of Narnia or something. It, 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 it's a reality. Whether we want to believe it or think about it or not, it's, it's what the scriptures say is real. There's a spiritual dynamic that's happening 
all the time, always in all places, and we're a part of it. And we've given our life to Jesus. We've both been physically present as a, as a follower of Jesus, and we're in a spiritual realm now that belongs to Christ. And I, I love the, how Paul gets in Colossians chapter 1, he says, about Jesus. So just so you know, if this feels freaky to you, it's a little odd. Would you acknowledge that? It's a little odd. And yet hear this. It reminds me of those movies, those like clips from movies where, you know, someone's tormented, like they don't know which way to go, right? There's a devil on one side and then there's like an angel on the other, right? And, and sometimes I think we think about that, well, the devil's on one side and Jesus is on the other. Let me just tell you, that's false thinking. The, the tension's there. I think, I think what the metaphor is pointing at is there's a reality, there's a tension that should, should be going on, especially with us believers. But if you think one's on one side, one's on the other, you're, you're, you're going to get a new picture. Here's the evil one. Here's all the evil forces, and here's Jesus. Authority above it all. He's above it all. It's all things were created for him, by him, and for him. I mean, Jesus is above it all. So don't, if you're fearful of a devil behind every bush or there's a demon behind every bush, I don't know. There's a lot of people think that way and think every time I turn, there's a devil behind the bush. I haven't looked behind all those bushes. I don't know that there is one behind every bush. And yet what Jesus, what Jesus has clearly been designated as, as, as the one who's above it all, Paul says in Colossians, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and by him. And for him. And the day's coming. The day is coming when all that was conquered on the cross, that this battle that we're in, just so you know, it's already ended and it's going to end. This, we know the end of the story. The battle that we feel like we're fighting and in, Jesus has won it. And, and what he's exacted on the cross is going to be in real play, in real time one day, when he steps back into this world that he's created and says, enough is enough. When the new heavens and the new earth are created, and Jesus comes back to declare all that's true about himself and who he is. That day's coming. That's a spiritual reality. And it's going to be a physical existence. Both physical and spiritual are going to converge like the world's never seen them before. And I wouldn't think that I have to remind myself or any of us that this is a struggle, that we're in the battle. I wouldn't think I'd have to remind you of that. And yet, I think what's commonplace in the scriptures is sometimes a step away from how we think and feel. Paul, Paul encourages us to, to stand strong. Why would he encourage us to stand strong if we weren't in some tension or some spot or place we need to? Can I be brutally honest for a moment? What are you going to say? No? <laughs> it's a struggle and a battle to, to live for Jesus every day. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. And it's a battle every day to follow Jesus. It's a battle every day. And, and, and there's, nothing, there's nothing more of a threat to me than, than not following him. And that's what the evil one wants me to do. Wants me to step off. Wants to pull me back. Wants to be the one who's speaking lies and speaking slander into my mind and into my life and telling me something that's not true about myself. It's a battle for you and I to follow Jesus. And yet... There's a strength and a power that Paul says it's ours to live like this. I, I, I don't believe um, that we have to be convinced that there's a tension. And yet, the evil one is out to get you, out to speak truth, out to, out to speak lies to you and tell you things about you that aren't true. I don't know if he's behind every bush, but he's out to get you. He's out to get us. I feel it. I sense it. I know you do too. But let me just say this. Though there may not be a devil behind every bush, we don't even need Satan to screw things up. We do it all on our own. Yes? Like, I don't need, 
Every time I do something off base, I can't go, well, the devil made me do it. That's a flashback to the 70s right there, right? The devil made me do it. Like, did he? Did he though? Did he make you do it? You know what? I do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Yep. Do you? That's called obedience to Mark. And the scriptures call me to be obedience to Christ. So I don't even need the devil to actually entice me. I, I do a pretty good job of, of messing things up and jacking it up all by myself. But when I do do that, when I do what I want to do, when I want to do, how I want to do it, even though I know down deep inside this might not be right, I put myself in harm's way. I put myself in the way of evil. I put myself in, in, in a place where I've allowed the devil to come on in, have a seat, sit down next to me, and, and know that I, I, I've just set a table. hope you enjoy yourself. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might is something we can't do in our own strength, but it's, it's in his strength. So how do I do it? How do I be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? You want to know the answer? I think I have it. Actually, it's not mine. It's Paul's. It's the scripture himself. Here's what Paul says. How, how do we live this out? How do we live the life that God's called us to live? How do we live in Christ? He says, suit up and pray. Suit up and pray. And even this is empowered by the supernatural. Check it out, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He says, suit up. Suit up. You want to you fight this thing? You want to get in this thing? Suit up and pray. Remember, Paul's writing under what? He's writing under house arrest. Remember, this guy's under arrest. There's, there's a Roman guard probably shackled to him. He's probably connected to a Roman guard. So the metaphor here isn't far from reach from him. He's looking at a guard. I'm not sure the guard was suited up fully in his attire, in his full battle accoutrements. But, but he's saying, suit up and pray. He's got an imagery of it right before him. Fighting a spiritual battle requires spiritual means. Fighting a spiritual battle requires spiritual means. So he says, put it on. Paul's driving home their identity. The same identity, again, he's established over and over in the first three chapters of this book, of this letter, in the, in the beginning parts of his letter. This is who you are. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. So therefore, live in Christ. Be in Christ. Respond to, to the world in which you live in as a person who's in Christ. That's what he's called us to. Put on the righteousness as a breastplate, he says, and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped, uh, and wrapped, himself, for clo I mean, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. From Isaiah chapter 59, he says, suit up, just as God suited up. God put these, these layers of, of accoutrements, of armor, to fight the battle and the war for us. Paul implores believers, as we put on the full armor of God, he says, as you suit up as God did, as you suit up and do this, as you, as you do this, stand, stand, stand in it. Four times over, he talks about standing. Who wins at the end of a battle, the one who's on the ground or the one who's standing? Growing up in a house full of boys, it was the one who was still standing at the end of the day. You won the battle. Here's a brief flashback to some American history. Back in the War of 1812, a battle that inspired a, a, a great song. You might have heard of it before, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? Francis Scott Key, or the Star Spangled Banner, sorry. It's Star Spangled Banner. Fra Francis Scott Key actually wrote this. And during the night, when the Brits were actually going after a, a fort there in Baltimore, during the night, he wrote this. 
He said, it seemed as though Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone. The sky had turned red with all the explosions that were going on, and the Brits were certainly to win. It, they were favored to win. And yet, in the dawn's early light, sound familiar? In the dawn's early light, when, 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 all, the smoke, when all the smoke died down and the sun came up, who has remained standing? It was the American flag. It wasn't the Union Jack. It was the American flag. The, the fort was still there. They, they stood. They remained standing. That's who wins at the end of a battle. It's a great scholar and a great churchman from China, Watchman Nee, from a little book called Sit, Walk, Stand. He says this, The word stand implies that the ground, the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's and therefore ours. The ground disputed by the enemy is really God's and therefore it's ours. The description here of the armor when he says to stand, he says four times over, I want you to stand. Put on the armor, so what? So when the devil comes, when, when evil comes, when the attacks hit, you're going to be able to stand. You're going to be able to withstand this thing. And though incredibly fascinating as you look at all the accoutrements of, of, of the armor we're to put on, they're a metaphor for something even greater. He says, put on who you are in Christ. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Put on the full armor of God, he says, suit up. It's not to be a formula that's followed, but suit up. Put on who you are in Christ. A call to arms as followers of Jesus, folks. We're at war, and he says, because you're at war, you're going to have to fight on, on a spiritual level. Use the spiritual means available to you. There's a lot of great imagery here. A lot of great imagery. We've been told to put on the, the belt, the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth of who you are in Christ. The belt held all the other armor together. It, 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 it tied it all together. It held it all in place. He goes on from there, and he says, Hey, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Cover, cover your chest. Cover your heart with who God says you is, you, who God says you are. You've been made right. You're now the righteousness of Christ. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says you've found peace with God. You're ambassadors of peace. Let your shoes and your feet be ready with the, with the truth of the gospel that, that Jesus has made you right with him. We're at peace with God. We have a readiness now to step into any battle, any warfare, because God's got us. We're at peace with him. He says, hold up the, the shield of faith. I know how, when you think about shields, sometimes you think of shields as smaller. These, these were massive shields. Like they, they covered the predominant part of a person's body so that there'd, there'd be no opportunity for the evil one or the devil to get in and get any kind of a jab or a poke at some vulnerable parts of the body. Put on the, the shield of faith. And then he says, no better headgear than this. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation, guarding your, your mind. And your very head, you take a blow to the head, you're probably out of the game. He says, I, I want you to put on the, 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 the headgear. I want you to put on the helmet of salvation. God's rescued you. God saved you. The gospel has been true for you. Put on the, the headpiece of salvation. And then last but not least, he says, certainly, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. Up until now, all, all, these, all these accoutrements for battle are defensive. This is offensive. He's saying, get, get you a weapon. Get you a weapon, get the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword, when you think about it, a big brandishing sword, you might think that that's what he's talking about. No, he's talking about a small sword. Get, get a little weapon that's going to be pretty sharp, that's going to do some significant damage to the evil one. In fact, the book of Hebrews, the author in Hebrews describes it this way. He says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
He says, get you the sword of the Spirit. Fight back. Use the Word of God. Get a jab in. Use God's Word. Fighting is a spiritual battle and requires spiritual means. So suiting up with the truth of who we are so that we can stand. Use the weapon of God's Word. Use the truth of who God says we are to fight back. Not just being familiar with the Word. Hear me. Not just being familiar, like, ah, I think I could think of a scripture or two, but, but being so familiar with the Word that we're Word-dependent. Heard that word before? That we're word-dependent, that we'd be a people of the book, that we'd be a people of the word, that we'd be a people who know God's word, who, who move to God's word, who thrive from God's word, because the Holy Spirit meets us in the word of God and takes the truth of what the word says and allows it to penetrate my life and heart and actually, apparently, penetrate someone else's. Use the word. Get in the fight. After Jesus was baptized, in Matthew, I think it's chap, Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, which is an amazing, amazing picture and beautiful, a beautiful picture of Jesus being baptized. And the Holy Spirit meets him and God declares he's his son. And beautiful thing. And then the, it says the Holy Spirit took, the, took Jesus out into the wilderness. And out in the wilderness, the devil came to Jesus and the devil said, huh, remember this spiritual warfare thing's been going on for a long time. The devil says, I, I want to challenge you. I want to tempt you on this. I, I, I want to I come at you with something. And Jesus responds with, you can probably guess it, the sword of the Spirit. The evil one says to, to Jesus, he says, all right, prove to me that you're the Son of God. Prove to me that, that you are who you say you are. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you in this. He says, um, I, I want you to think about um, how hungry you are right now. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days out in the wilderness. And after fasting for 40 days, the devil said, hey, you, you don't have to be hungry. You can, you can call those stones to become bread and get your fill. And Jesus knows the tempter's there. And the, the word for tempter, the word for the devil, is one who engages in slander. Isn't that the work of the evil one? He wants to engage in slander, saying something that's not true about you. And he says, hey, you could turn that, you could turn that stone into bread. And Jesus responds with the word of God. Quoting from Deuteronomy, he says, it's written... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds with the word of God. And then they're in, then they're in Jerusalem. And they're in Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're on the top of the temple, and the, the evil one comes again, and he goes, okay, I want to challenge you again. If you're the son of God, and if we're going to play the scripture game, Satan says, let, let, me, let me get into that. But if, if you're the, the son of God, hey, throw yourself down from this temple. And he says this, quoting scripture to Jesus, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The evil one knew the scriptures, quoted them to Jesus. And Jesus was challenged to, to throw himself down and have the angels sweep him up. And Jesus responds again with the truth of scripture, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally they go to the top of a mountain, and and. and and the evil one shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, which I never really fully understood this because Jesus created all the kingdoms of the world, but he'd been fasting for 40 days. He was every bit divine as he was human. And, and the evil one says to him, hey, I'll give you all of this, as if it didn't already belong to him. I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. And again, Jesus returns to the scriptures, and he said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Note, at every turn, Jesus used the sword of the Spirit. Jesus took the word of God and drew back. That was his weaponry. Folks, that's our weaponry. 
Note the reality of the spiritual realm that he's talking about here. It's normal because it's totally normal in our biblical worldview for us to live in the physical and the spiritual realm. And we've got a weapon at our disposal. And you can't have a weapon at your disposal if you're not using the weapon. If you're not taking the weapon and using it back. That, that you need to be familiar with the tools that God's given you, the weapon he's given you, and be able to use that weapon back. You can't, in the midst of a, of a temptation, like when, when I'm tempted, when I'm really tempted, I'm probably not carrying my Bible. So when I'm tempted, I want to fight back with the sword of the Spirit, with the Scriptures themselves. I better have the Bible. I better have some Scriptures embedded into my mind and my heart, written on the doorposts of my life, right? That they'd be, they'd be so embedded in me that, that I've got a go-to place to go to. When the evil one comes in, I can respond with the sword of the Spirit and poke back and pierce back. And, and, over, and under all these accoutrements for, for battle, for war, of all the things he's told us to put on, they're all undergirded, hear me, all undergirded in prayer. Prayer. Prayer connects the spiritual and the physical. Prayer empowers all the accoutrements that he says to put on, all, all, the, all the identity of who we are in Christ. It's through prayer that, that God activates and, and converges the reality of what's going on in the spiritual and the physical in our lives. Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit. And how do we pray? With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Think about it. Prayer. Calling out to God engages the physical, where I am, and the spiritual. It engages both. Prayer engages the supernatural power of God in this world. When we're communicating with all of who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a powerful, that's a powerful convergence of physical and spiritual. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I can pray before God the Father, knowing that Jesus has allowed access for me to have even an access to him. The curtain was ripped in two that I might have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus came, died, rescued me, saved me, Saved you, went, went and sat at the seat of the, of the Father's right hand, and he sent his Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, to reside within us and live within us. The Spirit of Jesus lives within me and lives within you. Is that not supernatural? That's a supernatural reality. And, and it's the Spirit of God in me, in you, that even teaches me how to pray, tells me what to pray, pokes and prods and, and convinces me and convicts me and encourages me and teaches me through His Word what, what He wants me to look like and how I'm supposed to live in this life He's called me to. It's the Spirit of God. It's the, it's the physical and the supernatural converging when we engage in opening our hearts and our mouths in prayer. It's a powerful tool that we have. I read a book a week or so ago for a friend of mine and um, he's writing a book, and, and he, he did this whole um, section of the book on the Lord's Prayer. It was beautiful. It's a great model for prayer. If you've not looked at it, you need to check it out. It's the Lord's Prayer. And, and I, I love some of the, the um, kind of the disciplines that come out of the Lord's Prayer. That's a great prayer to pray. It's a great model of prayer. But it's not the only model of prayer. There's, there's models of prayer all throughout the Scriptures, from the Psalms all the way back to Genesis, all the way through to Revelation. You see Paul praying here. There's prayers that, 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 that have been prayed all throughout and in the Scriptures that we can tap into. And so here's what I want you to hear. There's not one way to pray. Paul says, pray, pray, pray with all kinds of prayers. Man, that opens it up, doesn't it? All kinds of prayers, not just the model given. And sometimes I think what happens in our world and in our lives, and we, when we think about prayer, i got to get it right. 
I got to pray this, this, this. I got to go through A, C, T, S. I got to go through this. I got these paradigms. I got this discipline. And when I think about prayer, it looks like this. And if I don't do this, this, and this, then God's not going to hear me. My prayer's not going to get through. Like there's some formula we figured out that, that we can actually master this thing and get God to do what we want him to do. Folks, that's a lie. I love discipline, but when discipline becomes legalism, it's off base. You hear me? I love me some good disciplines. There's good disciplines. Hear that. But it can't become legalism. When I was thinking about prayer this week, I was thinking about it like, what's my prayer life look like? When I thought about prayer, I got an image. I got an image because it's where I'm usually praying. It's on my couch in the corner of the sectional, the best seat in the house. Corner of the sectional, right? Right there in the middle. Got my coffee. Got my pup. Dog sitting here. My Bible. My journal. I mean, when I think about prayer, that's what I think about. And that's great. That's a great discipline. But if that's all that I, I've reduced my prayer life to, that that's when God meets with me, I've missed it. I've missed the reality. What's common, he says, in the world in which we live, there's a spiritual reality that's taking place in my life and your life all throughout the day. God doesn't just exist when I speak to him. He exists always. But when I speak to him, I allow the convergence of the physical and the spiritual to have its play in my life. That's what he's calling us to. Pray in all kinds of ways, with all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers. I got to tell you, a couple times this week, the only prayer I could lift up was this. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Help me, Jesus, right? I didn't go through a big formula. I didn't go through ACTS. I didn't pray the whole Lord's Prayer. I just said, help me, Jesus. And I found out an hour later, he helped me. Showed up. Did what he does. Sometimes the only prayer we can pray is, help me, Jesus, and also, thank you. Have you I, I'm just a sucker for spring, man. I love, man, the trees are blooming. There's a red bud out this tree. I'm sure. I, I'm just driving Taking, taking a little trip in my Jeep going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thanks for, what, thanks for what you've provided. Thanks for the beauty of the world in which you've called us and allowed us to live in. Thank you. But when I, when I cry, help me, or I cry, thank you, what I'm doing is I'm converging the reality that, that I know I'm supposed to live in, both the physical and the spiritual. Paul says it even more concisely in 1 Thessalonians. He says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Pray. Don't stop praying. What's that mean? Well, if you got this posture in your head, like, I got to get on my knees and pray, am I supposed to stay on my knees forever? There's people who do that. There's monasteries built for people who don't get off their knees except to eat and go back and get on their knees. Is that how I'm supposed to live? Is that, is that the prayer life God's called me to? Yes, it really is. But, but it's not a physical, just a physical reality. When we get to do that, when we have 20, 30 minutes or some expanded amount of time when the kids aren't screaming, the boss doesn't need something, and whatever, when we have that time and space to pray and to spend, that's beautiful. But oftentimes, what we need to be reminded of is that the Spirit of God is alive and active, and we can pray at all times with all kinds of prayers. I can walk from my office to another office. I can walk into a conversation. I can, I can meet somebody for coffee. And as I'm walking in, as I'm leaving, I, I can utter a word of thanks. I can offer a word of help. I can ask, ask for God to meet me in the moment or to meet this person. Show me what's going on in that person's life. There's a praying without ceasing, an ongoing dialogue, what he's reporting to and saying, when you have an ongoing dialogue, that's going to actually allow us as people of God to live in the common where we're in the physical and the spiritual. Because when we pray, when we lift our minds and our hearts before God and our voices before him, we're converging both. We're instructed on how to live. He says, pray at all times. Pray. Pray, pray the supplication. What does supplication mean? It means praying 
praying earnestly, pleading with God in humility, supplication, pleading with God in humility. I, I love I love, the, I love the word. I had to look it up. Like, what does supplication mean? I know it means asking, but what does is, what is asking mean? And it, and it says pleading with God with humility. And here's, here's what I learned years ago. I don't know who, it was first, who, who first coined it, but we ought to pray what's really on our hearts. Like, we ought to, we ought to really pray. Like, don't, don't play games with God. Don't, don't make it more complicated than it is. it is. We ought to pray what's really on our hearts. Pray, pray what we want. Like, I, I wish... I would hate for my kids to have grown up in a house where they could never really be honest with me and tell me what they want. If you'd have told me you wanted a bike for Christmas, you might have gotten one, but you never told me that. And here's what I believe God does when we pray the desires in our heart. Even if they feel selfish, even if they feel like, wow, there's so many people that, that need food in other countries, and here I'm asking for whatever, fill in the blank. God knows you want it. God knows your heart. You're not playing a game with him. He, he knows your mind. He knows what's going on in your, in your, in your psyche. And here's what I believe God does when we're honest about it. He either gives it to you, he gives you that red bike for Christmas, or it'll change your heart about it. When you start praying about something, it's like you release it. Like, this is what I really want you to do. I want my wayward daughter to come home. I, I want this to take place. I want this person who I've been praying for to come to Christ. I want, I want, I want. Pray it all. He says pray at all times with all prayers and, and, and pray with supplication. Plead with God. Plead with God, asking God to do what you really want him to do, whether it sounds selfish, self-absorbed, whatever it is, pray. Allow God to have access to your heart. And I really do believe he'll either give it to you or he'll change our hearts and teach us further how to pray, where he's called us to. Ask God questions. I, I love this. I love this that's, that's a part of our culture here at Two Rivers Church. We, we ask God questions, and we don't ask God questions just off the cuff, ask God questions and expect them to answer. Ask God questions. God, I don't understand what's going on in this world. I don't understand what's going on in my world. I don't understand this portion of Scripture. I don't understand this. God, show me. Help me get this. What, what are you up to in this? this? It felt like a train just came through my living room. What do you want me to see in this? Ask God questions. And just like in any, any good relationship, and most of us struggle to have good relationships, right? What's the core of any relationship? Communication, Right? In any, in any relationship, you got to pause long enough to listen. Anybody struggle with that? You got to listen. You got to ask a question and then listen like you would to a friend, a spouse. You, you got to actually shut up long enough to hear what they're saying, right? So he's saying, ask God questions and expect him to answer because he is answering. He's in communication with us. Open the word of God and allow God to move you to a place and a space that he wants to take you and instruct you. Paul concludes this letter to the followers of Jesus by telling them to be strong in the Lord. How? And in the strength of his might. We can't do it on our own. We can't dig deep enough to do it on our own. We need, we need the power of God to help us to do it. And all throughout this letter, there's been a, a, a vertical and a horizontal reality, a vertical, a vertical place where he calls us to, to walk and to pursue Jesus, and it happens in a horizontal reality. It happens among the church. It happens among us as believers and followers of Jesus. You've heard this several times over. It probably won't be the last time we'll coin it. We need we. We need each other. Paul says, pray at all times and in all ways. Pray, pray, pray for each other. Pray that you'll be strong. Pray that the person next to you is struggling with something. They just got news yesterday. It's blown them off the face of the earth. Pray that they'll be strong. Pray that they'll see Jesus in the midst of this. Pray. Plead with God. Pray for each other. 
Paul gets real personal in here, and I love it. He, he's finishing up his final thoughts of the letter, and we get a, a picture into a real man in a real place at a real time writing to real people. And he says here, hey, we need we. There's a guy who's been really helpful to me. He says, so that you may also know that I am how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts, that he may encourage your hearts. There's been a brother who's walked alongside him, who's come to see him in prison, been a, a, a brother to him. Talked about this a few weeks ago. We need other people in our lives. We need people to walk with us. We need people to speak the truth to us. We need to speak the truth to other people. We need to walk authentically in communication and in relationship with each other. That's the church. He's writing to the we. He says, this is who we are to be. And yet it's affected and, and it's been personalized for Paul himself. He says, pray for me. Pray that I might speak the, the gospel boldly, he says. Even while I'm shackled to a Roman guard, pray that I might do the very work that God's called me to do. Wrapping up his letter, he says, finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in his strength. If I had to summarize the whole letter in one line, I think it'd be this. Uh, who we are in Christ empowers us to live together following Jesus. Who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ empowers us to live together following Jesus. Folks, that's Paul's prayer for the people in Ephesus. And folks, that's our prayer for us. That we be a people who are, are convinced of who we are in Christ and allow that to empower us to be a people who follow Jesus and follow him together. So what's that look like moving out from the book of Ephesians? We're closing the book today. But I hope as we walk away from the book of Ephesians, we walk away with a new sense of who we are. Who we are. We'd be a people that would step in and be an encouragement to each other. So let's live it out. You want to live this thing? Let's live it out. Let's live out who we are in Christ. And let's actually physically live it out this week. Again, back to the discipleship guide we've given you. In your bulletin, online, you can go to 2rc.tv slash live it out. We're going to put it everywhere we can for it to be accessible to you. There should be a, a QR code somewhere there. There it is on the screen there. You can get that QR code, put it on your camera. There's a live it out section. We want to live it out together. We want to be a people who are growing in our walk with Jesus together. That we experience the power, the supernatural power of God to live the very life he's called us to. And so this week, we're going to encourage you to live it out. To go back into the scriptures. We're going to spend one more, five more days after today in, in Ephesians. And I, I pray as you do this, that you'll allow the word of God to drive home this reality. Folks, we're in a spiritual battle. We live in both the physical and the spiritual. Let that be normal for us. Look down and see that you're bow-legged, right? See it, right? You don't recover well. Live in the truth of who we are. Live out who we are. And this week in our Live It Out section, you're going to be asked this question. And, and I pray as you listen, I think it's on Friday, you're going to go back and listen to the whole book again. And there's something profound about listening to the whole letter. You know, we, you know oftentimes on, on Sunday and Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, we've got to break a letter up, right? But we've encouraged you to live and read through the whole letter. And there's something powerful about reading through the whole thought pattern of someone. And as we live it out, as you listen to the letter again this next week, I think it's on Friday, ask yourself this question. Actually, ask Jesus this question. Where, where do I need to suit up in the identity that you say that I am? Where, where do I need to suit up? What, what, what part of my, my battle, my armor, do you want to confirm and, and to drive a wedge deep into that, that from, from here on out, I'm going to name it and claim it and walk forward in the identity of who I am. And as we move through this week, I want you to rethink prayer a little bit. I'm not trying to jack up your prayer life. You've got a great discipline, so do I. But that's not all that there is. 
There's, there's more that God's called us to. He's called us to a relationship and a communication with him that's ongoing. I, I hope this week that you'll experiment. Just practice a little bit with prayer. And, and then smile when you, when, when you notice it happens, because it's going to happen. You, you can't call on God and have him go, I can't hear you. He hears you. He's always present. He's always there. That's the spiritual reality in which we live. Help me, Jesus. And then look back two hours from now and go, I, I guess he did. You're going to see a pattern and a practice that you're going to start not only being encouraged by, but then depend on. Help me, Jesus. And he did. Thank you, Jesus. It reminds me of, of, of my connection to him. Rethink prayer. God's far more attentive than you think he is. He doesn't just exist when you think about him. He's thinking about you all the time. Let's engage in that conversation. Amen? I'm going to ask you in this venue and across all our venues, if you'll stand, allow me to pray for us as we walk out of Ephesians into Easter and all that's coming. God, I just ask, Father, for our church. God, that you would do a work in us that, that is far beyond what we could hope ask for or imagine. God, would you drive home in a way that we've never experienced before, corporately and individually, who we are in Christ. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for empowering us to live the very life that we find impossible to live apart from your grace and your mercy. Now may the peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. Amen. Amen. Let's stand firmly and worship the King.